Thank you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in the 23rd Psalm, one of the most famous passages in the Bible. I love this psalm. Uh, tonight is baptism night. If you want to, if you've trusted Christ as Savior and would like to follow in believers' baptism, you can come tonight. We'll be there by six in the Kids Life Center. We'll want to know that you've trusted Christ as Savior. We'll talk about that, and then we'll baptize people there. You can invite friends and family. It's a little more intimate setting there in the Kids Life Center. Just be there by six o'clock if you would, and it's going to be a special night. Today is First Baptist Academy Day. Some of you did not know that our church owns and operates a school. We have a K through 12th grade school, and whether or not you have direct involvement, you know, you're in it or you have kids in it, whether or not you are, it's our school. And so we want to uh, encourage it and pray for the school. You're sort of obligated to encourage and pray for the school just by being here at church. And I want to recognize uh, our administrators, Jackie Beal, Stacy Gibson are here somewhere. Stand, would you mind? Just stay standing. They can tell you all kinds of things about the academy. It's been a hard year, but they've been doing a tremendous job. A lot of our faculty and staff are here somewhere. I think some of them are. Stand if you don't mind people, men and women. Thank you, thank you, back in various places. How about if you are a student or a parent or an alumni? We have 100 alumni now, I just found out. A little over 100. Would you stand if you are? And we are thankful for you. Great. Great. Thank you all for all of the things you do. We're grateful for all you've done for the academy and your participation. And as I said, we're obligated. It's our school, whether you're directly involved or not. We pray for the school. We encourage the school. We love the school. We're looking for some more teachers. If you know people who would like to uh, be interviewed for teaching positions, of course. And we're, man, they're great academically, um, spiritually, and we care about those things very much. I mean, it's not just, uh, I mean, we're, we're going to we want to set the curve, so to speak, on the uh, academic side as well. So thank you for all who participate. Let's read uh, from this great psalm. I, as I said, one of the most famous passages, I think, in the Bible. Let's read it together. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Well, I love this passage that tells us about the Lord as a shepherd. We see God's description of who God is as a shepherd. Uh, the other day, my wife and I were driving, and we, I saw a sheep pen. There's some sheep in a pen, and I thought, how much more convenient is that? I mean, the sheep can't get out, the predators can't get in, and that's, you know, it's all convenient here. But in Israel, still today in Israel, there are shepherds. Uh, Israel's much more arid, much more deserty than it is here. Rocky, rocks everywhere, mountains and valleys, and so finding food is a little more difficult. There's dangers around, and so there's still shepherds, you see, going around Israel still today, shepherds uh, leading their sheep. And the Bible describes, when God is describing himself to us, one of the descriptions he uses is as a shepherd. And I want to talk about what that looks like and what that means. We're going to look at six principles that teach us more about what God does for us and who God is. And so let's write these six principles down. If you're watching online, you can do that 
right where you are, write these six things about the shepherd, and you can do that if you're here in person as well. Let's note these six things together. Number one, would you note the Lord provides, the shepherd provides. The Bible says here in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. And I would just remind you that he is a personal shepherd. And so when we talk about his provision, this isn't just like a theoretical uh, God is there distant in a sense that he started the world to spinning, but he is my shepherd and he is personal. And God wants a personal relationship with you. He doesn't want you just to know about him, but he wants you to know him. And he doesn't know just about you. He knows you. And the shepherd knows his sheep in a way that maybe no one else in the world can know you. Maybe they don't know who you are or maybe they don't know your problems. And maybe you feel like um, maybe you are hard to understand. Maybe you have trouble understanding yourself. But I'll tell you, the shepherd knows you. And he knows everything there is to know about you. And you are personal to him. You're not just a sheep. He knows you. And he's not just a shepherd. He is my shepherd. And when you give your life to Christ, the Bible says God adopts you into his family. And it, this is personal, not just religious activities, not just God at a distance, but God who cares about us personally. The Lord is my shepherd. And notice what it says here in verse 1. I have what I need. David the psalmist is writing this. David knew what it was like to be a shepherd, but he's saying the Lord is my shepherd and I have what I need. He's saying God is personal, but he's also saying God is sufficient. I have what I need. It doesn't say God always gives me what I want. Thankfully, God does not always give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. And for that, we ought to be thankful for God's provision. So early in our marriage, really, if we look back on it now with and we see how important this was for us. Early in our marriage, I started seminary. Vic and I got married young, went off to seminary, and we, were, we lived in poverty. We just hit, and I don't use that word lightly. We lived in poverty. And it was an important lesson for us. God didn't have to do that. He could have certainly provided in a different way. But we found out that we couldn't, we didn't, we couldn't depend upon anybody except the Lord. And when we did, we found out the Lord is dependable. It's an important lesson to learn. And that when we trusted the Lord, he was trustworthy. And God allowed us to learn those lessons in ways that are so beneficial for us that while we don't ask him to take us back to that, we, we certainly are thankful that he allowed us to go through that. And I want you to know that the Lord, the shepherd provides Sometimes sheep forget to say thank you. I'll just tell you about this sheep. This particular sheep sometimes forgets to remember all the provision God has made. You know, because we start thinking about what we'd like or what we want or what else we think God ought to provide for us, and we can forget that. And I'm, I'm saying to you, one thing you need to recognize about the shepherd is he is a personal shepherd who has provided for you personally, and he cares about you. And on, on occasion, we sheep ought to recognize what the shepherd has done for us. And we ought to have a grateful, thankful spirit and not just take it for granted and sort of ignore what God has been doing for us. The shepherd provides personally. Number two, would you, would you write this down? The shepherd guides. He guides. It says two times in verse, in verse two and in verse three, the Bible says, he leads me. Describing the shepherd, the psalmist says, he leads me. This may be one of the problems we sometimes have with the shepherd. 
because he gives leadership to us. He's the shepherd and we're not. When I was um, young, there's still bumper stickers a lot. I see some of the craziest bumper stickers. But when I was young, I used to see a particular bumper sticker. I think bumper stickers sometimes are just, I don't know, people want to express something. And sometimes it's just perhaps simply to hold the bumper to the car, to the vehicle. There's some of the bumpers. That's the only thing that appears to be keeping that bumper intact. But when I was young, I would sometimes see this particular bumper sticker that said, um, God, is, some of you if, you, if you're old enough, you may remember this. It said, God is my co-pilot. God is my co-pilot. Now, I didn't see a lot of bumper stickers about God, you know, when I was young. And so I'd kind of notice, you know, bumper stickers that said something about God. God is my co-pilot. And it said, oh, great, God is his co-pilot. And then when I came here, I found out what a co-pilot is. You know, the co-pilot is not the pilot. Did you know that? You military guys are way ahead of us on this. You've experienced this, but the pilot is the pilot, and the co-pilot's there. I mean, if something goes wrong, the co-pilot steps in, but the pilot is the pilot. And so I think a lot of people like the idea that God is the co-pilot, because what we're saying when we say that is something like this. We're saying, I'm in charge of my life. I'm going to run it like I want. I'm going to go where I want to go and do what I want to do, like many sheep are prone to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, live like I want to live, go where I want to go, act like I want to act, think like I want to think. And then if I get in trouble, if it gets bad enough, you know, turbulence in my life gets really t difficult, then I'm going to call the co-pilot, hey, I need some help here, co-pilot, because I'm not able to do it myself. And that's not the description here at all. It's not saying sheep, listen, you can just have it run, run around, and if you get in trouble, you know, call out, maybe I'll be able to help you. The shepherd leads. It says in verse 2, he leads me beside quiet waters. So he, sometimes we need rest. Sometimes we, we need our, our thirst quenched. Some of you are here because you're thirsty and you thought, if I could just get enough things, I'll be satisfied. But you keep finding out it's a little bit more. Every time it's got to be a little bit more because things can never quench your thirst. If I could get enough pleasure, but it never quenches your thirst. If I could get that position, if I had that power, but it never quite is enough. The Lord is the only one who can quench our thirst, and he leads us beside quiet waters. He calms our soul. And the Bible says in verse 3, he leads, he guides us along the right path. Along the right path, the Bible says. He's saying to us, that he leads us to what is best for us. He leads us to what is best for us. I think when I was young, I thought, I know I should follow God, but he's not, like, he, this, is, this cannot be good for me. I'm more convinced the longer I live, the longer I follow the Lord, that he is leading, to me, leading me to what is best for me, not to what is easiest for me, not, not to what is most popular. It's not always the widest path that God leads us on but to what is best for me. It's the right paths. And God wants what's best for you. You may not yet believe that. You may think you want what's best for you, but you can't know enough to know what's best for you. God wants what's best for you, even in a way you can't know it. And so he wants to lead you, even though it may be the hard way, even though it may be the difficult way, even though it may be challenging, but he's leading you to what is best for you. God's path for you is best for you. Even when you can't fully see that, sometimes the sheep don't realize that. They don't understand it. But the shepherd is guiding them 
along the right paths. And the Bible says here, it's for his name's sake, for the glory and honor of the Lord. He's guiding us in honor of his name, according to his character, for our good, to our benefit. And so the shepherd guides. If you were just to summarize what discipleship is all about, I think you might just use the words Jesus used. Jesus said, follow me. Did you notice Jesus didn't say to the disciples, hey, lead me. You guys direct me and you guys guide me. He doesn't say that. He says, Jesus, when he summarizes discipleship, Jesus said two words, follow me, follow me. And often, like sheep, we want to say, hey, I, I want to do my thing and ask you to bless it. And God's saying, I want you to trust me enough that the life that you're longing for, the life that's going to quench the thirst that is deep in your soul, is found in following me because I'm going to lead you on the right paths. There's a third principle I'd like you to note. Would you write this down? The shepherd protects or, or, I'm sorry, renews. Oh, my goodness, I went all the way to point four. Don't skip point three. This point three is so awesome. I, if you miss this one, you miss so much of the sermon. The shepherd renews. In verse two, the Bible says, he lets me lie down in green pastures. In verse three, the Bible says, he renews my life. The Lord wants to renew us. He wants to give us rest. We need rest. It says in verse two, he lets me lie down in green pastures. And sometimes sheep need to lie down. They're not like the horse that just runs and runs and runs. Sometimes they have to rest. And the shepherd leads them. He lets them lie down in green pastures. He cares about them. He wants to give us rest. I, listen, I appreciate doers. I love, I'm kind of task-oriented. and I love people who are, you know, go-getters. I, I love that. But there are times when we, God's not just calling us to action. Sometimes he's calling us to just spend time with him. Just to Spend time with him. And that is the action that he wants from us. That is what he wants. That's the task he wants for me, is for me to spend time alone with him and to spend time in his presence and to rest. I just finished a biography of Yogi Berra. For those of you who know baseball, Yogi Berra was a, is a Hall of Famer, a three-time MVP, played for the Yankees. He grew up here in St. Louis on the hill. And Barra was in the generation, people told him he couldn't play. He didn't look like a baseball player. He was shorter than most. And he, just, he would swing at pitches outside the strike zone. But he was just an incredibly gifted athlete. And uh, his, in his early years especially, his managers would just, Casey Stingle was his manager with the Yankees for a long time. And he would have him catch just game after game after game. Yadier Molina is a little bit like this. He wants to catch every single game. And sometimes... In the old days of double headers, he would catch both games. I was reading along, and he had a 16 inning game. Every inning, 16 innings, a game right behind it, double header. All nine innings he catches. I mean, he was in his 20s. And let me tell you, as you get older, you realize some things you can do in your 20s that are a little more difficult, you know, as you get a little bit older. And But man, he, sometimes his. His hitting would deteriorate because he was exhausted. I mean, he was tired. He needed rest. And I'm just telling you, sometimes God just says to you, I want, listen, I want to lead you to some rest. I, I want you to charge hard. I want you to do your best. I want you to give your all. But there are times when what God wants for you is for you to rest beside 
in the green pastures and beside the quiet waters. And then notice, not only do we need rest, we need revival. I want you to see what the Bible says here in verse 3. He renews my life. He renews my life. Our nation needs revival. Our culture needs revival. Never have I seen our culture more antithetical to the things of God, more in rebellion against the things of God. But revival, technically speaking, is not for the world. Because revival is re, you have to be vibed if you're going to be revived. And vibed is talking about life, it's talking to believers. And we need to be revived. And some of you are here today because what God wants to do in your life is to bring revival to you. We get distracted. I think one of the great methods of the enemy is to distract us, just to keep us busy, keep us focused on other things. There used to be a time when you were close to the things of God and you loved God deeply and you loved spending time with Him and you loved His Word and you loved prayer. You were close to God. But at some point along the way that changed, maybe just through distraction. And your life got busy and the enemy will never mind your life just being busy. He, he won't care about that. And if he can just keep you distracted from what really counts, and some of you are so distracted from what God wants in life, or sometimes it's just direct disobedience. Sheep sometimes just go the wrong way. And you're, you've said something like this, I know what God says, but. I know what the Bible teaches, but. And God is calling you back to himself. And maybe you're here today because God in heaven loves you so much. The shepherd cares about you so much. He's calling you to revival, to renewal. And he wants to restore and renew that soul deep within. And listen, God in heaven is able to bring renewal to you. For those of you who at one time were passionate about the things of God, but you've drifted from him, will you take that to heart? And let God do that work of revival and renewal in you. God is able to bring renewal. God can do this. The shepherd renews. Now let's go to point four. The shepherd protects. The shepherd protects. Verse four says this. Even when I go through the darkest valley. Some of you are in a dark valley right now, aren't you? Pain, sorrow, death. talked to a couple of people very recent days who have gone through some very dark valleys. Some of you are in it right now. This is a fallen, broken world. And you're going through a dark valley. It's sort of like the, Israel has all these mountains, and so you have these steep valleys. And, and just the, sh the shadows are so great. You, you can't, you know, sunlight rarely penetrates. Grief can be that way for us. Pain can be that way for us. But the Bible says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. Boy, this is a word we need because this is the fear generation. We've been told this, this for a long period of time now that we ought, to be, we ought to live afraid. And yet the Bible says something so different. Even when I go, the psalmist is saying, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. Well, why? How would he not fear danger? Two reasons. One is because of God's presence. He says, for you are with me. David, the psalmist, is saying, I, I, I'm, I'm going through some dark valleys in life. If you live long enough, you're going to go through some dark valleys. But I don't have to live in fear because you go with me. You go with me. 
when I was a boy, my dad was a construction worker, and sometimes he would be gone during the week at a job, you know, just sometimes be gone for that week. And like little boys do, I would wake up scared sometimes in the middle of the night, a bad dream or something, or worried about something, or monsters, you know, in the closet type thing. And I'd wake up and, and you know, I'd go into the, my parents' room and you know, if my mom was there, it's good. Mom, you know, mom had a fly swatter. You know, she could use that fly swatter. I suppose she could, she wielded that sometimes, you know, as a form of discipline. Back in the old days, kids, their discipline could be slightly different than it is now. She used that fly swatter. I suppose she could beat off some sort of attacker with the fly swatter, I guess. But it was especially helpful to me when my dad was there because my dad was, you know, a little more capable. I knew what his discipline could be like and I also knew that meant he had some ability that my mom didn't have and so I didn't have the same fear and though we go through the valley of the shadow of death in this world though there's plenty of pain and brokenness in this fallen world the Lord goes through those difficult days with us he doesn't say to us you're never going to have a problem in this world follow me and there'll never be a difficulty this is a broken fallen world but he says I'm going through every problem you face with you and you don't have to live in fear about what might happen because of God's presence but also because of God's power notice it says your rod and your staff they comfort me your rod and they staff and your staff they comfort me God's the shepherd's crook and his club sometimes you know you use the crook to pull us out of a crevice or the club to discipline us. God's discipline is in our best interest, by the way. God does discipline us, and he does it for our good. And the club can be used to fight off the enemy. And the Bible says they comfort me. I'm comforted, David says, by this rod and this staff that you carry, by your power, to remember that you protect me even in the dark and difficult moments of life. And for some of you here who are going through dark days. We, I don't want to minimize it. The Psalms don't minimize it. God's Word does not minimize it. It doesn't say ignore the pain, pretend it isn't there. It's not what God's Word says. God says, I want you to know that I am with you every step you take, and I always have my rod and my staff with me, always. They're there with me. And so I'm going to help you through every if you will follow me, I'm going to help you every difficulty that you encounter in this world, every enemy that attacks, every problem you face, every time you need discipline, every, every time you need correction, I'm there every step because the Lord protects us. There's a, a fifth principle I want you to know. Is that what I'm on, five? All right, stay with me. Someone keep me on track. Number five, the shepherd prepares. He prepares. Let's go to verse five. It is a beautiful verse. The Bible says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So David knew something about enemies, right? He had difficulties. His life was filled with challenges. He had that big giant named Goliath. He had a political problem, a guy named King Saul. He had family intrigue. And if you had family intrigue, he had his son Absalom. who tried to take his place and his spot. He went to war against him. He knew what it was like to face some enemies. The Philistines would line up day after day, battle after battle, fight after fight, war after war. And David said, I, know, I know, couldn't help but notice something. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right there. I've got enemies. 
but you're preparing. He's saying God prepares us through problems. He doesn't just remove the problems, but he prepares us through the problems. He prepares a table before us right in the presence of our enemies. Our enemies are there, but God has made preparation for us. The sustenance that we need, the protection that we need, the power that we need, because we are in a spiritual battle. You have your own giants to fight. You have your own family difficulties and struggles. You have your own political issues. All of those things are part of life, but God prepares us through the problems that we're facing. And he's made preparation for us. Nothing that has happened in our lives has caught God unaware. He knows what we're going through, and he's been preparing us for those battles. And he's been preparing us for the problems that we're going to face in this world. And notice as well that he prepares us for a mission. Verse 5 says, you anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. Now, oil was used in the Old Testament for medicinal purposes. And sometimes someone would, the good Samaritan came and put oil, bandaged the man's wounds. By the way, can I just remind you, we're all wounded healers. Your life group teacher didn't teach a class today saying, you know, I've, I've got it all together and never had any problems. And I'm just going to tell you poor people how to find healing. We're all wounded healers. Your pastors don't just, you know, come with healing on the wing. The Lord is the one who heals, but we're all wounded healers. We've all needed the oil of the Lord applied to our problems and issues and struggles in life. Can I just tell you, you don't have to stay a victim forever to the scars of your past. You don't have to stay forever a victim. Now, many people will. I'm not minimizing the hurts of your past. And I'm telling you, many of us have faced struggles and problems and pain and hurt. We've been wounded at some point along the way in life. But for many people, we stay victims to those wounds when the Lord is giving his oil of healing for us. Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, is the God who provides for us the healing that our spirits need. And we don't have to live victims forever. And you don't have to stay a victim to your past and a victim to those who have wronged you or hurt you or to the pains that you're facing now. The Bible says, you anoint my head with oil. It's not, just, it's not the only way oil was used in the days of the Bible, not just medicinally, but it's also often used to anoint someone for some mission. David himself was anointed as the new king when he was just a shepherd boy. God saw in him what he couldn't see in himself, and he was anointed as the king to be. Or prophets were often anointed, or sometimes the prophets would anoint someone for a particular job. I'm reminding you that we have a mission. We are united by that mission. We're not united by being the same. We are very different. God gives us different abilities and talents and backgrounds different gifts spiritually. We all have different roles to play, but we're united by the mission. We have the common mission of, of God's great commandment that we're to love God and love others. We're united by our great commission, our responsibility to make disciples of all nations. That's what unites us. And God pours out that anointing on believers so that we will follow his job and his responsibilities, so that we follow his mission. The Holy Spirit does that for us. 
And notice the Bible says here, my cup overflows. When God works in your life, God just pours out his blessings in ways that are more than any earthly container can hold. And he wants to pour out on you all the preparation he has made for you and for your future and for the mission that he has for you. God wants to fill you with his spirit. God wants to use you in his service. God wants to empower you for the work he has been preparing for you all of your life and far before you were ever born. God prepares us through every problem that we face, and he prepares us for the mission that he has for us. And if you'll follow the Lord, he'll pour out his blessings for you and on you in a way that's greater than your cup could ever hold. The shepherd prepares. By the way, the Bible tells us Jesus has been preparing for us because we're made for something more than this, just this world. The Bible said, Jesus said that he's going away to prepare a place for us, for those who know Christ as Savior. And long, long centuries ago, Jesus made that promise to us. And that's what he's been doing on our behalf, preparing for your future. If you know him as Savior, he's been preparing for the home that your soul is longing for. And it is God pours out his blessings in ways that are so great. That home, that plan, and that purpose that God has for your future is greater than anything you can imagine fully in this world. The shepherd prepares. There's a sixth principle I'd like you to note. The shepherd pursues. And I love that the Bible tells us God pursues us. We say we pursue God, but we could never pursue God except that he pursues us. He loved us first before we could ever love him. And I'm thankful that because of that, we can love him. But God pursues us. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 6. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Well, goodness and faithful love, how, how can they pursue us? It's God who pursues us with the attributes of his character that he gives to us. It's God's goodness that he gives to us. It's God's faithful love that he provides for us. That word faithful love is the kind of the Old Testament equivalent, as close a word as there is in the Hebrew to the New Testament word for grace. It's that unmerited love. It's the love that we can't deserve or earn. But God just pours out. He just overflows our cup with his love. And God pursues us with the attributes of his character to give to us his goodness and his faithful love. And he's pursuing us in our lifetime to give us what we need and what deep inside, of course, we want. And the shepherd has been pursuing you. He wants you to experience his goodness. He wants you to experience his faithful love. He wants you to experience salvation full and free in Christ. He wants you to experience a home in heaven. He wants you to experience a life worth living in this world. God wants that for you, and he pursues you for that purpose. God pursues us with his attributes to give to us, but he also pursues us with his presence to give to us. The psalmist said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Now, David, as he wrote this, would understand something about the presence of God. He'd realize if you said to David, where's, where's God? He would say, well, there's a sense in which God is in the tabernacle, the tabernacle that represents the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant that 
reminds us that God is present before us, before the cherubim on the Ark of the, of the Covenant. God is in the tabernacle. And of course, David made plans to build the temple. He wanted to build it himself. And God allowed that to happen to his son. His son Solomon was the man who built the temple there in Jerusalem. That was happened to David prepared for the building of the temple. And so if you were to ask someone in the Old Testament, where is God? They would say, well, God's at the, he's at the tabernacle or he's, he's in the temple. So where, what do we say today? Where is God? Where, where, is, where is God? Where is he? And we could say, of course, God is in heaven and God is in heaven. And he's, Jesus has been preparing a place for us there. And one day, that's what our soul is longing for. That's ultimately the home that God has made for us. And that represents the very presence of who God is and where he is. But there's another sense, even more personal than that, that is the house of God. And it's not the church building. As thankful as we are for the church building. We've sacrificed and, and worked and prayed to have a church building, but it's, this is the building. The house of God is something more personal and intimate than that. The Bible says when you give your life to Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in you. Not out there. Not somewhere. But in you. So that the Bible says, the New Testament teaches us, that the temple of the Holy Spirit is our body. It's not the, out, it's not the outward shell. That's not it. It's not the beauty of the outside or the brokenness of the outside. It's the power and presence of God the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us so that we never walk through a valley of the shadow of death alone. We never face a problem or an obstacle too big for God to handle. And that shepherd who lives in us wants to guide us and lead us and direct us. Because one day, that Savior who has been preparing a place for us will come to us and heaven will be our home and we will see him face to face and we'll know him as we are also fully known by him and God made us for that and that's what the shepherd wants for you will you bow with me for a word of prayer and as we pray I want to ask you to make the Lord your shepherd when you say I want God to be my shepherd not just a shepherd but my shepherd some of you need to be saved and the Bible says if you will repent of your sin and you will place your trust in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you and receive him as Savior, he'll save you right where you are. You can give your life to Christ. You can trust him as Savior and he'll save you. I urge you to give your life to Christ. Christian, I want to say a word to you, though. Some of you are here and you've, you've known this truth that God, the Lord is my shepherd, but... You've acted as though you're in charge of your life. And you just call on him if you have a terrible problem. And I wonder if today you wouldn't say, Lord, I, I want you to be my shepherd. I want to follow you. I want to make my heart like the heart of what you called the early disciples to be. Follow me, you said. Follow me. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Some of you are here who need revival. You need revival. There was a time when your heart was close to God, but through distractions or disobedience or whatever, the cares of this world, somewhere along the way, 
you've drifted from the things of God, I want to ask you today, would you say, God, I want to come back to you. I want to come back to you. I want to, any chunk that's in my life, Lord, I want to, I'm not, I don't want to justify it or excuse it or explain it away or blame it on anyone else or my past or whatever. Lord, I want to, I want to turn from sin and turn to you. Lord, I want to turn from distraction and turn to you fully. I want revival in my heart and life. God is able to bring renewal to you. Perhaps you're here because of that very thing. Some of you are facing the valley of the shadow of death right now. You're facing difficult moments. Would you say, God, I'm going to trust you right in the middle of this, all the way through this, because I know you're with me. And you're powerful enough to deal with every problem I face. Right now, you've been preparing for me a home that my soul is longing for. So in the meantime, I'm going to follow you and live for you until that day. Father, I thank you. You are our shepherd. We are so much like sheep. We're vulnerable. We tend to wander away. We, we even want to argue with you about which direction we ought to go and what we ought to do. But Lord, help us to see who you are and how deeply you love us and your purpose and plan. And Father, burn this deep within us. There are some here who are just deep inside longing for renewal. Would you bring that to them? Longing for a revival in their own personal soul. Would you bring revival to their soul? Lord, for those who need to be saved, draw them to yourself. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.